0: welcome to true crime sucks a podcast about the best and worst of true crime tv and documentaries with your host adam todd
1: brown hey everybody welcome to true crime sucks a podcast about the best and worst of true crime tv and documentaries i'm your host adam todd brown Joining me as co-host this week, Jack Kelly's here. Jack, how's it going? It's going all right. I'm,
0: yeah, just hanging in there. It's too fucking hot here in Los Angeles. It's so we're, we're doing our best.
1: Yeah, it's not great. I went outside just now, very briefly, and I'm over it. I'm already over
0: it. I got coffee earlier with a friend and there weren't any seats available inside. So we are sitting outside in the shade, and I was like, "It's still too hot. This sucks. Yeah. I don't like this."
1: <laughs> yeah, it's bad times. We went from hurricane to brief earthquake to heat wave. California, we got it all. I don't like it. Maybe it'll and snow all... a bunch this winter. Oh man, I
0: personally would enjoy that. Los Angeles really? could not handle it. I love the snow. I love snow. I love oh,
1: it. I left the Midwest almost exclusively to escape the snow. Like, if I never see it again, I'll be fine. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, you again. No. I love the snow. I miss it. Here's a smooth segue. A lot of snow in this documentary.
0: (laughs) A lot of snow in this documentary. (laughs)
1: Because it takes place in a place that has winter. New Jersey, which. Yes. It's a place. I've been there. I saw a Star Wars movie in New Jersey once. It's uh, fun.
0: I've been to New Jersey exactly once, and it was just to. Because I was in my Hamilton era, so I mm. went to the Weehawken dueling grounds and then came back. And that was it. And that was sure an adventure on public transit regardless. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah, I saw a Star Wars mm-hmm. movie there and ate at a Cheesecake Factory. It felt like I mean, a very New Jersey that, trip.
0: Yeah, that sounds like everything there is to do in New Jersey.
1: Unless <laughs> I could have like seen Springsteen or something. That would have been. Sure, sure. Or Bon Jovi, but fuck Bon Jovi. Come on, <sighs> so we're covering a three-part hbo max or just max documentary called telemarketers that is about one of the biggest telemarketing scams of all time this hit very close to home for me because i used to be a telemarketer and i worked at a place very similar to this we were emailing about this You said someone in your family used to be a telemarketer
0: yeah my mom was a telemarketer for the daily herald in chicagoland so oh wow like but she was a telemarketer for like a legit company like yeah like she worked out of the daily herald building she you know yeah my mom is like she is such a chatty person it's where i get it from and like <laughs> she can have small talk with literally anyone oh, so she sure. but like in this documentary like when they showed you know what they would do of like reading the prompts on the screen. I was like, that's, especially cause it was like, you know, in the late aughts and like, that's my mom was a telemarketer in the nineties. So like, I was like, that's yes, that, yeah, that all tracked for me, even though I was like a kid when she was doing this, it was like, damn, this was Wow. Like way to, way to dredge up like memories (laughs) that like, you know, a dusty file that I was like, I didn't need that file anymore, but I guess (laughs) here we are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I worked at a few different telemarketing places. My very first job, uh, I was 14 years old and I sold minor league baseball tickets just like out of the phone book. We would just pull up names, call and try to sell them like a book of 20 baseball tickets and I was really fucking good at it. Like even at 14. So I kind of, I did telemarketing often on for probably five or six years at different places. But there was one place I worked in for the longest where we sold like HBO to people who already had cable or we'd sell Showtime to people who already had cable or if a new cable company opened in an area We would call cable subscribers and try to get them to switch on those grounds. It was all on the up and up and pretty legitimate. Like we were, we weren't scamming people. It's just that the owner was a lunatic who would exploit every labor law he could to make us work unspeakable hours. Did you know, I don't know if it's this way now, but at one point in Wisconsin, employers were not required to give employees breaks. You just had to give them 30 unpaid minutes for lunch. So this motherfucker did not give us a lunch. He gave us two 15 minute unpaid breaks each day. So you couldn't like go anywhere. If you had to do something at lunch, he, at one point realized that Wisconsin law allowed for you to make people work 14 days in a row with no days off. That was like the cutoff. And he did that. He like mandated that everyone work every day for 14 days. And if you didn't, he would fire you holy shit and one day i went into work like he was he was the type of dude he sent around a memo like getting really mad at us for smoking in like non-smoking areas outside the building next week walk through the call center with a lit cigar like he was that kind of motherfucker wow and wow one day it was about a week after he did this big company presentation about how great the future looks and how everything's on track. There's all this expansion. He was outside the building, a bunch of people were smoking and they just heard him on the phone with his secretary inside. And he goes, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm leaving for the day. Peels out of the parking lot, goes home, kicks his wife and kid out of the house, barricades himself in the house has a standoff with police. And it eventually ends with him committing suicide. Holy shit. And I remember I got to work the next day and my supervisor was standing out front and was like, Adam, you must not have heard. And he told me what happened. And I shit you not, my first thought was, oh, I get to watch the Bulls game tonight. (laughs) Because I'm sorry, the dude was a fucking monster no that's such uh, a
0: bad person okay but that's such an incredibly human response like (laughs) i feel like a lot of people would frame it of just like you know and i was just like oh man like so sad for his wife and kids be like no like this man did me dirty i'm excited i get to watch the bulls game tonight and then the second thought is like oh yeah i mean that sucks for his wife and kid but also
1: like (laughs) But also the bulls, it was like when they were in the midst of winning all those championships and it was playoff Oh Yeah. Line. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So I, so I had
0: we're talking, we're talking like what? Like 90,
1: 95, 96, 96, 97 <laughs> around that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. So like right at the tail end of it too, incredible. the games were actually good. Oh, incredible. So yeah. Rest in peace, dude. Uh, <gasps> let's talk about this documentary, the I mean. I- It's just as insane. (laughs) Yeah. The reason I brought all that up is this place depicted in this documentary is a lot like where I worked because the thing about telemarketing is no one wants to do it. So the only like real outlet they have is like either criminals who are unhireable at other places or just people who have, you know, shitty work histories people who are too young to get a regular job. Like I was when I worked at 14 for a telemarketing place. And that was my experience at this place. Like I worked with some fucking criminals and it was wild. Like I would show up drunk all the time. People would get drunk at work. We would smoke weed in the bathrooms. Someone got mad at management and wiped shit all over one of the bathroom stalls once it was absolute fucking chaos. And then in the midst of all that, you also had to be good at selling HBO to people. It was great. It's just nuts. Some of the stuff that they showed in this documentary, I was
0: like, that was not my mom's experience at the daily Herald.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, I worked in another place that was way more legitimate and they wouldn't have stood for any of that. Like they just sold magazines. They had a cop on staff But his only real role, in my opinion, was if you sold a certain amount in an hour, they gave you a gift certificate to a nearby steakhouse. And it was a $50 gift certificate. And that cop, without fail, would give you $25 for that gift certificate. If there were 10 of them, he would buy all 10 of them. Like, no hesitation. It was pretty great. Incredible. (laughs) so yeah this telemarketing place it was a little more wild than the place i worked like people weren't like drinking beer at their desk or like nodding off on heroin at their desk which that all happens here it's a place called civic development group it's a good name it sounds positive Sounds like they're.
0: Yeah, but it's like those, you know, it's just vague enough that you don't know what it is or what it does that right. sounds positive, but you're just like, yeah, civic development group. But like, if you were to say like, oh, I work for civic development group, I would not know exactly what that is immediately.
1: No, like no, not at all. I,
0: I would never guess telemarketers.
1: One thing that struck me right away, this documentary, it's like that boyhood movie, like it spans a long. Time.
0: Yeah. Like, 20 years.
1: Yeah. Cause just, it starts in 2010, but that's like kind of the end of what is actually depicted in the documentary, which all starts like 2005, 2006 ish. And then yeah, it finally makes it to present day.
0: Well, I think it even starts even earlier. Well, well, the footage starts in like 2005, 2006, right? But like the opening but, scene, uh,
1: I mean, is him in bed in 2010
0: right yeah and like i'm like oh wow this starts in 2010 and then he's like nope actually it starts seven years earlier when i got my first job as a telemarketer at 14 and it was like oh shit like
1: that's what like yeah it covers two decades that's crazy yeah just bonkers Um, I i like in the beginning when he says i could never imagine i was part of the biggest scam in telemarketing history and then the very next sentence I was onto it right from the start. Okay, Sam, which is it? Okay. By the way, that's, uh, I don't think I said the guy's name. Sam Lipman Stern is one of the two main protagonists in this. He is the filmmaker, and it's pretty easy to see why he's a telemarketer for the police specifically, because Sam sounds like a fucking cop when he talks.
0: Yeah, he's got one of those voices where like, you know, it's like, we'll get to it later, but like you know, obviously they age over the course of this documentary, and like he's the type of person that I feel like grows into his voice, because yeah. like hearing that voice come out of him in like oh five oh six when he's starting these videos, I'm like, that is not your voice, sir. Yeah. Like that's that's a fake voice that's been installed in your throat. Like that
1: is not you. Yeah. He sounds like a crooked cop. Like he sounds like a bad cop in a movie. Yeah. Immediately. And he's young as shit. Like he said, he worked there for seven years. He started Mm -hmm. when he was 14. Like there's scenes of him doing rails of Coke at work. Like how deep into his employment was that? Honestly,
0: honestly, (laughs) Well, cause he also said that he like started recording a cut like what, like two years into it. Like he didn't yeah. s- initially start out recording everything. But- yeah
1: imagine your 14 year old kid gets a job and you send them to this place they come home and you're like hey tell me about your coworkers." yeah well he also like
0: he dropped out of school and that was like the thing that his parents were like yeah you have to go get a job oh yeah and he's like well who's gonna hire a 14 year old who <laughs> didn't graduate from anything because i think he had like dropped out of like eighth grade even like he yeah Like he dropped out even before high school. And so like, they were like, no, you're going to go get a job. And it was like, yeah, who's going to hire a 14 year old who doesn't even have an eighth grade education. The answer civic development group,
1: civic development group. Yeah. They talked to someone else later on who I just put him in the notes because his name is X Santino, the God, which tell you right now, it's probably a prison name that is a name he picked up in prison. And he talks about coming home from prison and he was like, I, listen, I went to prison for some shit. I got a job at civic development group in like six days. Like they were just hiring anyone. There's even a guy they interview. Who's like, you don't know who's sitting next to you in this cubicle. Mm-mm. That's ominous. Cause you're sitting mm. in a cubicle right next to people.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, I would be scared out of my fucking mind <laughs> working there.
1: <laughs> yeah. They talk about people like selling drugs there like for real drugs uh someone selling pit bull puppies anytime someone's selling a dog in public shits up like something's yeah. going on i got yeah. a dog from the parking lot of a grocery store once and biggest mistake of my life oh, boy, I had to literally home that little monster really fucking fast <sighs> damn yeah he was cute though he was so cute that's how they get
0: you that's how they get you <laughs>
1: Also cute, Patrick Pespis. He's uh, cute in his own Patrick Pespis way. He's the other main subject in this documentary. He is Sam's partner in this documentary, and he's also a heroin user. Yes,
0: I do really enjoy that. Like that, Sam says that like Pat was born to be a whistleblower. <laughs> um, because I, because th- after watching the whole thing, I'm like, that's extremely true. Like Pat really was like, he's a very dogged person and it helps because it's like, yeah, he was a very, he was like one of the best telemarketers at CDG and he was like well respected by like management by his just ability to do his job while like doing the heroin nod. And like, he was just like, damn good at getting the sale. And then shocker also good at like being very dogged in like investigating things and like pursuing things because he's just, you yeah. Know.
1: And he, at least at first seems like he has a personality that would be a little grating, yeah. but as it goes on. Like, as this documentary goes on, it's pretty clear everyone loves Pat. Like, there's this scene near the end with his neighbors, and he had been on a trip, and he comes back, and it's like a fucking celebrity came to town. People are like hanging out the windows to wave at him. Pat seems cool as shit. And here's the thing I mean, people listening to this, you're supposed to have watched it already. I really thought Pat was going to die in this. Same at Same. some point and I'm so glad he didn't
0: oh my god there were so many moments when when Sam was like I haven't Pat just dropped off the face of the earth and I didn't hear from him I was like well Pat's dead yeah. Pat's dead like instantly I was like well that's that's the end of that it's so nice that they gave him a consultant credit for all of these episodes it was like <laughs> oh never mind he just went to rehab
1: <laughs> yeah and that I think explains part of why this documentary covers such a span of time because it's mentioned at one point that these two lost contact for eight years. Yeah. That's, I mean, I guess that explains the 20 year thing.
0: Yeah. But they were also saying that like part of it was like the research had just, the the trail had just gone cold and they just couldn't get anything yeah. else for it. So it makes sense, you know, Um, but I feel like we're jumping ahead of like,
1: yeah, what this is about actually about. Civic development group. Fuck. Let's talk about civic
0: development Group
1: CDG. They are a telemarketing firm that started at some point in the 1990s. They had offices all over New Jersey, and they basically pretended to be the fundraising arm for a bunch of different charitable organizations. Most of them dealing with like police, firefighters, veterans, things like that. And they would go to say the fraternal order of police and just give them a huge check. Like you don't have to do anything for this money. All we want is to be able to use your name when we're making our fundraising calls. And then they would take these calls, take this money, and they would give like 10% to charitable organizations. And they would keep 90% for themselves. And it's brought up in this documentary. One of the reasons it worked so well is there are people among us who for a whole, variety of reasons are just gonna say yes when the police are asking for something
0: yeah my i think my if i'm recalling correctly i think my father is one of those people so Mm. um because i feel like i've seen these decals on his cars like in the 90s and the aughts and not anymore but like it was yeah my dad's got a a weird hard-on for the cops because he wanted <laughs> to be one and he wasn't very good at it
1: <laughs> so yeah he'd be a prime target for this man, probably. He, yeah he's a
0: he's a he's a funny one um <laughs> but yeah it was like as soon as they were like oh fraternal order of police and it's like the the deep irony of having these like ex-cons making these like fundraising phone calls For the Fraternal Order of Police
1: is wild. Wild. Yeah, Um, and that's kind of the first thread they pull on when they're talking about making this documentary. Like, at first, that's just the scandal. Is, can you believe the people making calls for all of these upstanding, good, charitable organizations... A lot of air quotes, a lot of air quotes around those good, charitable organizations. Exactly. But that seems to be where they're headed at first. And then they realize it's a lot more complicated than that. They uh, talk about two specific rules of civic development group in their calls that are pretty important. One, you can't say you're a cop. You have to say you represent the cops. Also, the percentages. If someone asked how much CDG kept, the people on the phone had to tell them that 10% goes to the police and the other 90% goes back to CDG.
0: Yeah, the the interview subjects would say it. And then they also showed a a like a like an insert of a clip of the sign that has like clip art on it. And yeah. like, the, and these two rules that were obviously like hung up in places around, uh, it was just like, it was like, yeah, this is so nineties. This is so early on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. And if someone, yeah, if someone asked what the percentage was, you just, you had to tell them you had to be honest, but then their rebuttal, which rebuttals are such a huge thing with, with, telemarketing. Uh the rebuttal was well 10% of something is better than 100% of nothing. And I mean it's a, it's a fair argument. That <laughs> fucking wordplay would work on people. I was bad at rebuttals when I did telemarketing. Mm. Like if I didn't hook someone right away, I was just like fuck it. I don't I'm not I'm not going to keep you on the phone, but I was good enough at getting people right away that mm. they kept me on.
0: I've never done telemarketing. I was in a, like a, like a customer support call center, which is different. People are calling you, um, which was also a terrible job because it was for a startup. Um, and, uh, and I, but I did sell Girl Scout cookies for a very long time. And so I got, you know, people say that like, oh, well, you know, Girl Scout cookies sell themselves and be like, I'm sorry, you're telling me that cookies sell themselves in January after everyone has made their New Year's resolutions to lose weight and they don't want to buy cookies from you? Okay. Yeah. Um, I got very good at selling Girl Scout cookies. I was the top seller in my troop basically every year I sold cookies. <laughs> and I had to come up with rebuttals and had to do them on the spot, in front of people, like face to face. But people would be like, New Year's resolutions. We're not losing weight. And I'd have to go, oh, well, the cookies freeze. Well, (laughs) imagine a nine-year-old saying that to you, a nine or a 10-year-old saying like, oh, well, the cookies freeze well, AKA, so when you give up on your new year's resolution, the cookies will be there waiting for you. And you would not
1: believe how many people would buy cookies after that. (laughs) And you know, they ate those cookies like an hour later.
0: Oh, absolutely. Honestly, for me, the shock was when I discovered as an adult that the cookies actually tasted very good frozen because they never made it to the freezer in my house. (laughs) So like (laughs) I was selling a version of this product that I had never experienced. (laughs) I'd be like, they freeze. Well, I didn't know that. So I've done the sales thing in the rebuttal, but like different product, different medium.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've worked in call centers too. And it, you're right. That's also brutal. I uh, call
0: centers are soul, soul, so 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 soul sucking.
1: I worked in a call center where we took customer service calls for military health insurance. You have not lived till you have some drill sergeant fuck screaming at you because the government told him he would never have to pay health insurance, and now he owes thirty five dollars on this ten thousand dollar bill, and it's just the principle.
0: Well, my calls. My call center was for a um, people search engine company where they just take public records and make them easy to search on their website. And so we had a lot of people calling who either bought one thing but never canceled. So it was just like, so they signed up for free, but they didn't read the fine print that they would be charged $14.95 until they canceled. So people would be like, hey, I just saw this charge on my on my credit card statement. Like, What is this? And it's like, and you'd pull up their account and it's like, oh my God, you've been charged for two years now. Like, holy (laughs) shit. Or people calling and being like, I just found out my information is on this website and I want it taken off. And it's like, okay, you can actually do that yourself digitally. And they're like, no, I want it off now. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And then you'd ask them for their name. Cause you're just like, yeah, I need to look you up so I can pull your information. They're like, well, I don't want to give you that. Be like, okay, so we're at a standoff here because <laughs> I can't remove you unless I know who you are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My favorite was people would call in and immediately go, do you have my information in front of you? What, the fuck are what information? What do you mean? <laughs> Who are what you? you? Name? What else do you want me to have? People are wild. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so, this, so these, these telemarketers, these fucking telemarketers, it's, it's a story as old as time. This company would get in trouble for this because they were, they were not supposed to tell people they were police, but they would like, hint at it and at one point they started when they would make these calls they would say the money was going to pay for bulletproof vests so funny. and that that was not the case and that's the point where the people who ran this company first get in trouble for it the Keyser brothers and the Pash brothers the Keyser brothers just seem like your typical fucking white-collar criminals uh, same with the Pash brothers except the one who is in a band so shitty, they only show his videos with no music, and I can just tell. Like, I can just tell. I think they do at the end, maybe. I think we hear a couple of his songs.
0: Yeah, we hear a clip at yeah. some point, and you're like, wow, this is bad. And it's Christian rock, too. Christian so- rock
1: featuring a former member of the Spin Doctors. Ouch.
0: It's, it's truly like there There are few genres of music that are more cringe inducing than Christian rock, yeah, um, like,
1: I don't even like I know several Christians, and I know none who would ever fucking listen to Christian rock. I
0: have listened to Christian rock, and like some of the songs are good. They're not great by any stretch of the imagination, sure. but like some of them you're listening, and you're like, this is a jam, like I could get and then they just drop like. And we did it for you, Jesus. And you're like, no, I'm out. Like, I can't. No, this is this. is I can't.
1: Nope. So, yeah. The owner of this company was in a shitty Christian rock band. That's like such a stereotype. Like, you're that religious, but also this is what you do for a living. You like oh my God. scam old ladies out of money who think they're giving it to the police. Pat even says at one point, he's like, imagine you're an old lady Sending your savings off thinking it's going to the police. And instead they're using it to make these shitty Christian rock records. I
0: mean, us talking about like religious scammers is, is a whole other episode. (laughs) Another (laughs) that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But going back to this, like it is so crazy that it's just like they're fundraising for these like super shady individuals while pretending that they're cops Right. Another shady organization, <laughs> and it's just like every inch of this is shady as hell. Like, it is, it is like painful. Like, as soon as they were like, Oh, yeah, we have to pretend we're the fraternal order of the police, I'm just like, Uh, like the feelings I was having, I was like, Does the because I remember thinking, like, when they first mentioned that, I was like, Do does the fraternal order of police know that you're doing this? And I'm like, I don't want them to be a victim in this, but like, do they know? And like, that's kind of the, that's what Sam and, and Pat kind of look into. They're like, oh, do these organizations know that these telemarketers are pretending to be them? Right. Um.
1: And at first it's not clear. It seems like there wasn't that much involvement, at least in terms of what sam and pat were finding because they even they're interviewing former co-workers and one of them they talked to she's like well no the police were the victims too like cdg was scamming everyone and sam's like ah, i don't know and we later find out that they're super duper involved and one of the ways we find out they're involved is because it is a indiana chapter of the fraternal order of police that we later in the documentary find out is the one who came up with the consultant model we yes. we mentioned those two important rules you can't say you're a cop and you have to be honest if they ask what percentage is going to the organization in question. So what they did instead is they changed the name of their business from civic development group to like New Jersey fraternal order of police fundraising center or something like that. And when they said they were calling from that organization, if people asked, well, how much money goes to that organization? They could be like all of it because that's us like that's, it's not really the police, but the name would lead one to believe that it's the police. And so that's how they got around the don't say you're a cop thing and the percentage thing. They could just say, yes, I am with the New Jersey fraternal order of police fundraising center. And that's all people would have to hear to think, OK, well, you're a cop. That's fine. Oh, my God. It just I'm
0: I'm telling you, that's probably what got my dad like to yeah. to pay this stuff, because he's just, ah. Uh... Yeah, can can everybody tell that I have daddy issues? Um <laughs> it's amazing. I can only imagine how much money they were taking in. Like they they didn't really, you know, they didn't really say how much they were receiving.
1: Well, they do say at one point that when they made the switch to the consultant model, their donations or their revenue went from 5 million A year to 250 million.
0: Yes. Yes, they did. You're right. They did, which bonkers after they switched to this model.
1: Right. And pretty much everyone they interview who was involved is like, yeah, that's obviously why donations went up because we were able to basically pretend we were cops and say, all the money's going to us nuts. It's
0: just nuts. Yeah. So at this point in the documentary, this is where Sam gets fired from cdg right because he was uploading videos of the antics within their office at cdg to youtube which is like of course of course because youtube in like oh five oh six oh seven was the wild fucking west and <laughs> like exactly. and the shit that was up there was like people's just like everyday nonsense and like you know it's this shit that like people would upload to TikTok today and people would be like oh this is so cringe cuz this is just <laughs> you uploading your normal everyday thing and it's like yeah this is what it used to be guys cuz like video was like a new thing and like but like the shit they were showing was just so crazy and yep. they like and they fired Sam over it because they actually hired a cop <laughs> to work in the office which was like once again like to me as soon as he said that I was like oh they hired a warden for the inmates is what they did. Yes. Like like these employees are just prisoners in a different sense. Like yeah. it, it is Cuz you're mean,
1: not you're not going to be able to rely on like the management or the supervisors cuz they're all fucking criminals too. They just work their way yeah. right up.
0: Yeah, though they did have one um Mr. Smythe, who uh, <laughs> who they blurred out his face because they were like, This is the snitch. Uh, yeah. This is the guy who would tell on us all the time because he took this very seriously.
1: Yeah. There's one of those at every telemarketing job. Like you're like, one at every job. <laughs> one at yeah. every job. It's like,
0: Get out of here. Like, let us have fun. <laughs> Don't fucking tell management. Don't be like this.
1: <sighs> so, yeah sam gets fired but pat promises to keep feeding him information from the inside meanwhile the ftc catches wind of what civic development group has done and they shut down the entire company the keyser and Pash brothers are hit with an 18 million dollar fine and they are ordered to leave the telemarketing industry forever or so we think but It turns out later, that's not completely true.
0: Well, they were ordered to, that's true. (laughs) Um, whether or not they did is a different question.
1: (laughs) Right. And so Sam gets a call from a former coworker, Ed Smythe, we just mentioned, and he's working at a new place that is operating exactly the same way CDG operated and this like reignites that documentarian flame in sam and pat and they decide to take on the whole industry sam eventually gets someone in the industry to talk to him but only with their face and voice obscured and i was like come on it's not this serious is it but also maybe like it it does come up in this like who wants to be on the wrong side of the police union yeah i mean and that's that's part of it
0: is that like this is because you are a whistleblower for telemarketing companies. And you're like, oh, that's not so bad being a, you know, um, whistleblowing about that. But whistleblowing. But like, as you find out that like, oh, the cops are actually part of this. It's like, oh, oh, I understand. Like, yeah, I also wouldn't want a gang of thugs. I'll say it. <laughs> like, knowing that I am like... Looking into them like I I wouldn't want that wouldn't wouldn't want an organization who can get away with murdering people and get off scot-free out of like oh I was afraid quote unquote and it's like okay get out of here but like yeah and that's you know
1: that's the big reveal at the beginning of episode two it's that they weren't just being scammed by CDG, it was that people were being scammed by the fraternal order of police and CDG was just like their phone soldiers who went out and did it. And there's a really great quote. Someone says the sign said New Jersey fraternal order of police fundraising center, but the paycheck said New Jersey fraternal order of police crazy. So they are police employees making these calls.
0: I swear that was a moment where I legitimately gasped, like watching of like, oh, wow, like we're not even trying to hide it anymore. Like we're not even attempting this. Like we are fully in it. Like that is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers.
1: One of the interesting or funny quirks about this documentary is at least in the early stages, like all of this stuff we're talking about you got to take into account sam and pat are just poor people like they're they're working telemarketing jobs they live in shitty apartments their families are poor they have all sorts of fucking life stress so they're having to do stuff like go to the local mcdonald's where there's wi-fi so they can work yeah
0: yeah and like and also remembering that like pat he kind of goes back and forth for a bit on his drug use and sam has once again doesn't even have an eighth grade education so like we're you know we're not talking like you know bless them we're not talking the most sophisticated documentarians and researchers out there yeah you know
1: and there's a real good example of that when early on when they're doing their research and calling around trying to find out who's involved Someone finally tells them, well, go look at Charity Navigator. And they go out there and find that a lot of these organizations that CDG is calling for are legit, sort of. Like, they exist. They're real charities. But they all have, like, the worst ratings on this Charity Navigator site. And they find out Charity Navigators in New Jersey. So they drive out to talk to the CEO. And they let Pat do the interview. And it does not go well. And at one point, Sam goes, It never occurred to me that Pat might suck at this.
0: Oh my God. It was such a like a moment of like, oh thank you. Like thank you for saying it. Like, yeah. It was, it was a moment where it was like, I was a little apprehensive about the documentary as like a, you know, as it was. I was just like, I don't know how good this is gonna end up being. <laughs> because like, I was like, they're not great at this. And like I was worried and then when sam said that i was like oh we're self-aware i really enjoy this now i was like as long as we are aware that we're not very good at this (laughs) i'm you know i'm here i'll stay you know it was like i was gonna stay anyway because we had to talk about it (laughs) but like if i i plan to watch this on my own before you asked me to be on the on the podcast so i was like so excited when you when you said it was this because i was like Fuck! I'm thrilled. <laughs> we we love a scam. We love a scam story. So yeah. this was totally my jam.
1: Yeah, and I love a documentary where two thirds of the way through, the documentary filmmaker brings on extra help to make the documentary. They have which, to like hire a professional who turns out to be his cousin he didn't know existed,
0: <laughs> which was
1: incredible. Amazing. Well,
0: because his well, because his mom was like, "Oh, you should call Adam." He's like, "Who's Adam?" <laughs> Who's like his cousin who's had like film screened at like South by Southwest.
1: Like. Yeah. How do you, how do you want to be a filmmaker, but not know that guys in your family? Incredible. Nuts.
0: Incredible. Although knowing my parents, like they name people that they're like, oh, you know, this person I'm like, who's that? And they're like, you know, this person who like does this incredibly specific thing to what you do. And I'm like, why have you never mentioned this before?
1: Like it's crazy. So one of the things we find out is CDG, they got shut down in November, 2009. And almost as soon as that happens, one of the Kieser brothers calls a former CDG telemarketer and is like, Hey, I want to start the company again. And they do in December, 2009. So like a month after they have to pay this huge fine and get shut down by the FTC, they just started again. Cause it turns out only one of the Kieser brothers was actually banned from telemarketing. Just the guy who started like who technically started CDG. <sighs> so the other brother was able to just start it up again. It was
0: one of, it was one of those facts where it was like, I should have fucking seen that coming. Like a, yeah. a company that is obsessed with loopholes, finding a loophole. Well, I, I should have known, should have seen it coming. Still was surprised when it happened
1: <laughs> And it to the telemarketing industry's credit. It does seem like they were way ahead of the curve on working from home, because that's one of the things they did around this point was start just setting people up to work at home. And Sam talks to one of the home callers and he should be sequestered from the public even when he's at work. Like, oh, man, that guy, for one thing, Sam is like, Hey, what'd you do to go to prison? And he's like, well, I had this childhood sweetheart. And I was like, Oh no, he murdered her. And sure enough, he did not murder her, but he did get so irate over her, like breaking up with him that he murdered a motherfucker. And every call, like when I worked telemarketing there was this really fun guy named Fred, who when you do telemarketing, you have the ability to mute your calls really quick. Like you have a button in your hand that you can just like mute and unmute. And Fred would deliver his old his whole spiel and he'd be like, and you can get HBO for $14.99 a month. Does that sound good, you old goat? And he would just mute when he said the words old goat. But if you were just sitting there listening off in the distance, it would sound like he was just calling people old goat all the time and this guy does sort of a different thing where he'll mute his calls and be like i hope you fucking die bitch incredible just incredible like he goes from (sighs) oh they hung up on me i hope you become a crime statistic motherfucker like he is intense just intense
0: yeah and then they talk to another guy who makes his calls like between drug deals
1: that guy rules
0: he was wild and like he he was another instance of like he is a, a black man who is also a drug dealer and he puts on this incredible like sorry to bother you like white telemarketer voice um just incredible like i was like this man needs to go into voiceover work is really what needs to happen
1: (laughs) yeah and that was a moment where it sort of put the victim side of this in a little more perspective because by this point we're getting into like the 2010s and Mm -hmm. one of the people he calls like he makes he has this whole elaborate call where first of all he's out he's just out in the world and sees a number on the side of a work van. And he's like, I'm fucking calling whoever is at that number. And I'm going to get them to give me money for the police. And the guy he gets on the phone is like, immediately he's like, yeah, you know, I'm on your side with all this stuff with like police killing black people and going to jail for it. And it's like, okay, I'm fine with you getting scammed right now.
0: It's so hard. It's so hard. Like it's, it's so hard. You're like. I don't think these people should be getting scams out of money. But also, if there were people to, that I'd want to get scammed out of money, it would be these people.
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's, they do uh, bring up a solid point throughout this that with all of its flaws, at least the telemarketing industry did at least for a while provide people with criminal records with a place to work, like they employ the unemployable. It's just that they employ them to commit financial fraud and scam old ladies.
0: But I mean, if you're going to get people who are okay with like breaking laws. Yeah. Like criminals are a good place to start.
1: Yeah. You know, the the guy they interview who wanted his identity obscured, he's like, we're trying to hire people who are good at talking people out of money. Who's better at that than a junkie. He's right. Uh,
0: (laughs) this this whole documentary was fascinating and simultaneously a huge fucking bummer
1: yeah (laughs) yeah he gets that guy to donate 365 dollars even though at one point his phone went dead he had to like go charge his phone call the guy back and he was like sorry i was out on detail and my phone fell in a puddle so he's just like straight up pretending to be a cop.
0: Incredible, incredible. And he gets 300. He's 365 bucks out of that guy.
1: Right. And that's fine. That guy getting scammed. <sighs> I don't care. What is really a bummer is when they get into how much of this is sort of like low key extortion, like if you're like some of these people, I don't think we met, we had, I had it in the notes earlier, but especially when they're making these fraternal order of police calls, what you get in return for your donation is this decal that you put on your car. You can put it in the window of your business and it just shows that you donated to the fraternal order of police. So there's a whole variety of things. People are going to think they're getting out of that One, oh well, if that's in my window and I get pulled over cops going to see that and maybe like not give me a ticket. And they straight up say that to people at various mm-hmm. points on the phone. But there's also that thing where they're calling like neighborhoods where people don't speak a ton of English and impoverished neighborhoods. Where if someone calls you speak in Spanish and they're like, Hey, we're the police, we obviously know your name. We know your phone number. We know your address. Would you like to give us a little bit of money to keep the neighborhood safe they're gonna think they're getting shook down by the police and yeah that's a lot of where the donations come from
0: well and also like you know not just extortion but like elder abuse too like yes. they were talking about one guy who was donating like what like almost like a thousand dollars a week, week. yeah and, and they were like, oh, well, he's 84. He's going to die soon anyway. And it's like, so we're not going to stop taking this money from him because what's he going to do with it when he dies? And you're like, holy shit. Like, yeah. this is – this is – fucking crime like this is holy fuck like this is that is straight up elder abuse like that is absolutely incredible like at that point I was so incensed it's like those are the real victims are the people that are like basically being extorted by this and it's like I just like I felt so bad for them and I at times like also felt really bad for people who did work as the telemarketers because it was like you can't get a job elsewhere like if you could have gotten a job doing something else or like been in a better like if we'd actually have like you know rehabilitating justice system as opposed to what we have now like you could get a job doing you know good work and not just crime for other people like it i just
1: yeah uh, so frustrating uh hey documentary filmmakers don't don't do scenes without your shirt on, especially if you got the, the back hair that Sam is is working with. There's a scene where he just sits down at his desk and there, he doesn't have a shirt on and it's jarring. He's got a fucking afro on his back. And it's like, why are you doing this without a shirt on, sir? I
0: I want to say um, some of us were not upset by that. So <laughs> um, there are two sides to every story, Adam.
1: Fair. Very fair.
0: (laughs) Some of us can't take our sweaters off. Okay.
1: (laughs) So he and Pat eventually get an interview with the head of the policeman's benevolent association and conflict alert. I guess these are the good cops because this is the one police organization that one does not work with telemarketers to do fundraising at all. When Sam and Pat call, they are like, yes, we will absolutely talk to you about the fraternal order of police and when they do this interview, it sh- the guy shows them an ad where the fraternal order of police was advertising for fraternal order of police members to go work at civic development group. And it's like the connection doesn't get much more blatant than that. Like it's hard to say the cops aren't involved when the cops are publicly involved, taking out newspaper ads. It was not. It's
0: infuriating. It's infuriating. It's all infuriating. Like it. Oh God, I just like. I do you remember what the difference is, or know what the difference is between the PBA and the FOP?
1: Uh the PBA is the Professional Bowlers Association. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the FOP uh, are a bunch of fucking cops. No, I yeah. don't actually know what the difference. I think the FOP is like the actual police union right?
0: Yeah. And I think, and I think Policeman's Benevolent Association is like an optional organization. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I was confused about that. I was like, okay, because they didn't really explain the difference between the two. So I would have liked to have known what the difference between the two of those are. Cause as soon as they started talking to the Policeman's benevolent association i was like okay i don't like these guys either though like i like them in the context of this documentary and that they're not using these super scammy telemarketers but also like they're still cops i don't care for this um so
1: a pba this is according to the internet in 2009 on forum.officer.com get out of here quick a pba is a local agency's representative group Each agency forms and develops their own. Some PBAs are the collective bargaining unit for that agency. And some are just social groups. FOP is a national organization. It represents a number of East coast and mid country agencies as a union for collective bargaining issues, and is mostly a social organization on the West coast. So I don't, I I read all of that and I am as confused. So they're the same thing. They're the same thing. Yeah. Cool.
0: So I feel like I feel like it's like FOP is mostly a union and sometimes a social group, whereas the Policeman's Benevolent Association is mostly a social group and sometimes a union.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that's probably about. right. Okay,
0: I don't I continue to not like either of them, but <laughs> here we are. Um, <laughs> it's fine.
1: <laughs> I, I love that Sam leaves all of his documentary filmmaking flaws in this. Like the part where we get years and years and years in before he realizes you can just look up legal records online, like court documents and things. Those are public.
0: I, I love, I love every little thing where Sam's just like, I've never made a fucking documentary before. (laughs) And I'm like, God bless you. Like, this is like, I love that it was like please like let's leave these flaws and be like i think pat might be bad at this <laughs> like yeah. oh you can look records up online i'm like oh thank god <laughs> like it's it's that one thing we haven't like talked about about like it's like pat and sam is that like this is simultaneously like a documentary about telemarketers but like it is also a story about pat and sam's friendship yeah and like and them as friends and so it's like having these little moments where they're like, oh shit, we could do that is like, oh, these are also just two guys who met in a call center. Like this is, yeah. This is like they show clips of them like talking about this stuff, but obviously like, you know, smoking something in <laughs> Pat's car and like, yeah. or in Sam's car. And like, they're like shooting the shit other times and like doing all this other stuff and just like being friends. And like, I think some of it too is that like, you know, pat i think i don't i don't know if sam would ever say this but it was like you know it's like sam was so young when he met pat that like he probably saw pat as like a little bit of a role model and like really looks up to him and like really appreciates him and there's like a very deep platonic love between the two of them that is very evident especially when sam talks about like the periods of time where he doesn't hear from pat you can hear in his voice when he says that that he's like worried about
1: him yeah yeah
0: and it's he like goes looking for Pat the first time he disappears, and it's like, and it's and he gets so sad when he can't find him, and it's like, ah, oh, these guys are like so. That's like one of the charming things about this series too is just like how human they both are. Yeah, and they're just they're two guys who are trying to get to the bottom of this, and it's like, thank you, like,
1: yeah, just delightful. And at the end of episode two, that's when Pat really disappears like yeah sam has found these court records he finds all this interesting stuff in there like he finds we mentioned earlier that the indiana fraternal order of police actually came up with the consultant model he also finds that there were police organizations sending these telemarketers stories about cops who were killed specifically so they could use them in their scripts which that's fucking gross and he's all excited to go tell pat and then poof pat is just gone. Like he cannot find him. His phone's not working. No one knows where he is. And so then episode three opens and we've clearly jumped a little ahead in time because all of that was like 2009, 2010. And episode three opens with all of these recorded calls from fraternal order of police telemarketers, but now their shit is all like, oh, political correctness, and everyone's so woke, and you can't even kill people without getting away with it anymore, and all of this shit, and it's like, okay, so we are up to present day. Yeah,
0: another another little fun thing is, throughout this docuseries, is um, watching the technology advance, like, you, it because he started filming this so long ago, you see the camp, like, the, the film advancement too. So like as soon as we hit episode three and like just the filming was better, like the camera quality was so much better. You're like, oh shit, we've jumped ahead in time. Like, right. so we're closer to present day, just just purely because of the quality. It was, it, that's one other like really fascinating thing about this docuseries is
1: just how long it's been going on and seeing that too. And speaking of that, When Pat finally resurfaces like eight years later, he's all excited to finish this documentary now. And so they dive right back into it. And weirdly, around that same time, they both start getting a ton of robocalls from people looking for donations to the police. But now they know so much about how this works and like what questions to ask. So Pat is fielding these calls and just getting them to say all the wrong shit. He's like, "I so you're a
0: loved cop." This scene, I loved this scene so much.
1: Yeah, there's Ugh. one of the callers. He keeps like asking variations of the, "Oh, so you're a cop? Oh, you're local? So you're here by? Okay." And he goes, "So you're at the police station right next door?" And the guy just goes, "Uh huh." It's great.
0: It's great. It's so good. Well, and then there's a point where he like makes the call. And he literally gets a call from somebody and he's like, that's the voice of somebody I fucking know. Well, it's like, not just that's, that. it's, it's not, not just it, Go ahead. But like, but like there was just that point where he's like, I know that voice. That's somebody that I know. And like, and we, and the guy had been dead for a year. Yeah. Like he's like, that's a, like, that's one of those things where it's like, if that was a person that I knew, that was on the phone that I'd be like, Oh shit. Are you still doing like, Hey, it's me. Like, are you still doing this? Like, but like the fact that they knew that he had been dead a year and they very masterfully showed a clip of him that the same clip that they'd showed us, like in the first episode, they're like, that was this guy. Right. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And then that's when they introduced the AI portion of it. And it was like, that part i also literally gasped i was like
1: oh, "You are you yeah. fucking
0: serious the realization that's like that guy's dead like is bonkers
1: but yeah like all of these calls they've been making all these years are probably all recorded so that's exactly the kind of thing you could just feed to an ai program and be like take phone calls like this guy and that's exactly what happened like they got a call from a friend of theirs who had been dead for a year because it was an AI program impersonating him, which makes me wonder how many fucking dead people have called my phone over yeah. the past few years. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. Like yeah. imagine if that was your family. Like imagine if that was th- that dude's wife who got that call. Oh, that is terrifying to think about. Yeah. and uh, Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, also terrifying is the interview with the federal trade commission guy because he's like look i i get where you're coming from it would be great to take on the police because you're right when these things happen only the telemarketing companies ever get in trouble for it the police are never brought up that's a running theme throughout this and he's like yeah man you want to take on the fraternal order of police you want to be on the wrong side of that and so no one's really willing to do anything and further complicating matters they eventually moved away from the consultant model to forming PACs political action committees where now they can make calls through PACs and because of the way PACs were created and the rules that govern them which are almost none it's considered political speech so none of those things about like not lying to people any of that It's just free reign to say whatever you want because now you're calling from a pack, but they're doing the same thing. It's just now when they call, they're talking like fucking right wingers.
0: I feel like it's not an episode of this podcast with me here without me saying that I fucking hate this country. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like, holy shit. As soon as somebody says pack like as part of anything in some sort of scammy thing i'm like oh you mean one of the greatest fucking scams in our political system yeah. the political action committees and like super packs and like finding out that like packs you can donate to a pack and they never have to disclose their donors like what a fucking scam what a fucking scam yeah. like it is it's truly incredible it's it is, oh my God, that's another fucking episode. Anyway, we need to keep going. <laughs> I, I, oh God, I hate, I hate the police. Yeah. The band is great, but A like, ab.
1: yeah. Yeah. Band. Just great.
0: as soon as the FTC commissioner was like, oh, do you want to take on the police? I was like, my stomach churned. I was like, oh, it's another one of these documentaries. Yeah. And I was just like, I kind of knew we were going there, but now I'm like, fuming i was like mad the entire episode three
1: (laughs) yeah every government representative they talk to is a huge disappointment they meet up with this journalist named sarah Kleiner.
0: yeah sarah kleiner
1: sarah kleiner who had been covering this story also for a long time but not as an insider just kind of as an outsider and they start working together she puts them in touch with a woman named ann ravel used to be the head of the federal election commission and she talks about how much of a problem packs are and that there's nothing really that she can do about it so Exhausting. she puts them in touch with a senator who we see later who is also a useless piece of shit uh, but
0: it's so frustrating
1: before that happens sam and pat start like reaching out to all of the various fop organizations The only one that'll talk to him is Florida. So they book a flight to Florida. Pat will not get on the plane. So Uh. they have to drive instead because it would have been his first plane trip and he was too weirded out and didn't want to do it. So they drive and that interview ends up getting canceled. So they show up anyway. They just get thrown out. They head to another organization in Florida called the International Union of Police Organizations. There, they're just told that they don't talk to the press and so they're starting to give up and then wow. this cop named robert lozano who is a cop in houston he was implicated in a bunch of fop fundraising schemes and that story goes nationwide and at that point all of these fop organizations that refuse to talk to him start calling because they know these two are looking into it and they want to like get ahead of it and be like yeah we're like we use telemarketers but not those telemarketers And so there's lots of fun scenes of them trying to track down this Lozano guy while Pat is just jamming barbecue in his mouth. That doesn't really really work. Um, And so this is where we see Pat's neighbors because they go to Florida and then come back and he's been gone and he gets a fucking hero's welcome in his neighborhood. One of his neighbors is like, I know he's a good man because his wife was in a wheelchair and now she's out of it. If you can get a woman out of a wheelchair you're a good motherfucker that's a quote from one of his neighbors like they fucking yeah love this guy i like
0: that yeah it's like it's so sweet because there's like another scene where they meet up with um a guy that they used to work with and like when they like because this is also shot during covid so like you know they're wearing masks and stuff and they do interviews like outside at certain points and like you know, when he, when Pat shows up, like the other guy just is like, Pat fucking papses like, (laughs) like, it's just so cute. Cause they're just like, they're like, Oh my God, this guy. And it's like, he is so beloved by everyone. And it's just like, it's, it's so lovely that like Sam included all of these little moments of just people just fucking loving Pat. And it's like, the incredible incredible
1: so the thing about all those fop organizations coming out and saying they're ready to talk now they want to talk at the national fraternal order of police convention so there's going to be hundreds of cops there but they go and the first person they talk to is a representative from the texas fraternal order of police and you can tell his interview was probably just to like feel them out and find out what they know and they don't say it directly but you get the sense that he realizes they know a lot more than they think because immediately after this interview like hotel security comes up and they are essentially kicked out of the convention and the hotel or they maybe just left willingly but
0: yeah because the the guy they were interviewing had like the most like pr answers and you could tell that he was very unprepared for the level of knowledge these guys had about what was going on. And, like, you could sense it in his body language and his face that he was not prepared for this. Yeah. And he wanted to get the fuck out of there. And then almost immediately they got calls of, like, oh, this person canceled, this person canceled, this person canceled. Oh, and we're being escorted out of the hotel. How fascinating. (laughs) Like Speaking of. but, But also so brave, so brave of them to go in there. And they they'd also been saying, like, I feel like we're being followed now. Yeah. Like by cops and like there's always a level like and i've always feel this way watching like you know scientology documentaries when they're just like i'm being followed and you know normally when you hear that from people you're like okay i get that you're like looking into this and you're like paranoid but like you're probably not being followed but like there are people who like you know it's like there's proof positive that like they are absolutely being followed. Yeah. And so like when they're like I think I'm being followed, I'm like, "Oh, without a doubt, you're being followed." Like I didn't after after watching so many Scientology documentaries. I'm like, "You are without a doubt being followed."
1: Yep. Um, people always assume that like if someone's saying, oh, I, know, I'm, I feel like I'm being followed, like people always assume it's going to be like the government. And no, like just rich people will do that to you also, like business people will have you followed. There's a documentary called The Pez King, which. Oh, yeah. Mwah, fucking great. And in that they're talking to that guy and he's like yeah i did kind of think the pez corporation was having me followed at one point but i know i was just being paranoid and the filmmakers like actually i have documentation showing the pez corporation was having you followed at that point yeah. point. and that guy's like huh, what a relief i'm not crazy yeah.
0: it's like with um scientology in the aftermath there's an episode where they are talking to journalists um where it's um you know mike Rinder and uh, Leo Remini are talking to journalists who have looked into Scientology and are still looking into Scientology. And one of them's just like, yeah, I was getting the feeling that I was being followed. And, you know, and Mike was in charge of that. And he's like, oh, you were absolutely being followed. And like, he yeah. just like straight up was like, no, 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 you were, we had your flight information. We knew all of this. We knew everything. We knew where you were at all times. Like, he's like, yeah. no, that's a hundred percent guarantee you were being followed. Like there's He's like, I was in charge of that. I'm telling you, I had you followed like bonkers. Absolutely bonkers.
1: There's a really cute moment near the end of the documentary when they're being escorted out of the hotel and Sam and Pat see this guy who they know used to be the head of like the Louisiana Fraternal Order of Police. And in that capacity, They know he worked directly with a civic development group. And now he's like the head of the national fraternal fraternal order of police. And so they're like, fuck it. We're going to try and talk to him anyway. And Pat goes after him and he starts going, Yates, Mr. Yates, is that you? And the guy's like, no, I'm not Yates. And at first it seems like the guy's just like being dishonest about who he is, but he eventually gets away and Sam and Pat meet back up and Pat goes, yeah, he was telling me that that's, that's not even his name. And Sam goes, well, that's not his name. His last name is Yo's, not Yates.
0: Oh, it was, (laughs) it was another flashback of like, I don't think Pat is very good at this, (laughs) but like, He's just so, Pat is just so earnest and he's so driven. And, and and it all still goes back to like that Pat was born to be a whistleblower. Like he is just, he just tries so hard and like his little outfit in his like, in his like page boy cap and his like, and his like um, plaid blazer. And I'm like, he is dressed as well as he can to like interview and like be in this space. And he is like unafraid of these fucking cops who are literally following them. And he is just like, I'm going to do it. And he is a man who is (laughs) literally trying his best and we love it. We, we appreciate, we appreciate men who are doing good and trying their best. (laughs) Even if, even if they call a man the wrong name.
1: (laughs) Oh, Yates. Damn it. So there's a really kind of sad, I mean, not kind of, but they interview a cop who legitimately is a victim of this scheme. This a guy named Mike Byrne. He was shot on the job and injured very badly, but didn't die. He had a shit ton of medical bills and expenses from not being able to work. And so the fraternal order of police gets together with this telemarketing company and they raise a million dollars for him and he gets none of it. The Fraternal Order of Police took their cut, the telemarketing company took their cut, and he got literally no money, to the point that he and a bunch of other cops who had been shot on the job end up filing a class action lawsuit over this. And it goes to court, and the judge, just like every other judge tied to any incident like this, is just like, hey, that was the telemarketers. Like, it wasn't the cops. Like the cops didn't do it. It's like the cops did it. The cops, the cops and the telemarketers are the same, but at every step, that is how it ends is. Well, you hire criminal telemarketers, you're going to get crime. I guess that's the problem. And then when
0: really, when really it's that, if you get the FOP involved, you're also going to get crime.
1: So yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> yeah. worse crime. And yeah, the last thing or the, like the last big moment, they finally get an interview with an elected official, Senator Richard Blumenthal, let's call him Dick. He agrees to meet with them and Ravel is the one who put them in touch. And he, they show a clip of him talking about like police union stuff and like a very similar thing. And so it seems like they're on the right track. And then you can tell the minute Pat starts talking, this dude has signed off. He like could not give less of a shit. And it ends, the interview anyway, ends with him being like, yeah, I'm going to have my staff talk to you about this. And if it's worth taking to Congress, we'll take it to Congress. And he's like, all right, well, when do we set that up? And the guy goes, my staff's right here. They're going to talk to you right now. And he's like, all right. And then everyone leaves the room, including the staff. And they eventually come back and they're like. You all packed up and ready to go? And they're like, well, we thought you were going to talk to us. And they're like, no, we can't do that today. Crazy. It's a very disheartening moment. And that is when they notice Dick Blumenthal has a shit ton of fraternal order of police patches hanging all over his office or all over the room where they met, which I'm sure that's not a coincidence at all
0: yeah yeah it 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 was truly just like it was it was a really gutting moment and like that's one thing about documentaries is that like there's so often these endings that are just so disheartening like it is just like it's you don't get the win like the documentarians just like they don't get the win there's no like complete narrative and like that is you know, that is the nature of documentaries at a certain point where it's like, sometimes you just don't get the win. The good guys don't win. Or it's just like, this is still ongoing. Like these guys could probably come back and make a fourth episode if things develop, but yeah. like, you know, at this stage, there's just no end to it. And so it's like, there is kind of like, um, you know, almost like a, a call to action of just like, of like, Hey, Talk to your senators about this. Like, this is an issue. Like, this is a, this is, I feel like, or I should say that, I'll take that back. There are documentaries that are call to actions. There are documentaries that are, like, a complete story um, where everything's been wrapped up and it's like, see, and good things did happen. And then there's ones like this where it's just like, hi, there's kind of a call to action in here, but it's also just like, this is happening and we need help continuing to look into this and uncovering this. And I feel like this is like, and it's like, they're like, we've found this issue and we're presenting it to everybody and we need help. And so by telling you about all of this, we're hoping this gets the attention of people who can actually do something. Cause obviously we were not able to. And so it is kind of like a call to action, but it is like presenting the case. Um, And because yeah, watching seeing Pat standing in front of those badges like for the different police unions or you know, uh organizations was just like, fuck. Like they he was never gonna give on this. Like he was yeah. never gonna give on this. And because every because it's it's literally like dealing with the fucking mafia is dealing with the cops. Like yeah. especially because the union. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like it is truly like I have a friend who uh, is a, an LAPD officer. He works for LAPD, um, but he is his job internally is to get bad cop- cops fired. So oh. like he <laughs> has to do the research. Yeah, so he has to like stand in front of like a board of of other cops and stand there and be like, "This motherfucker deserves to be fired." Because of X, Y, and Z, and he has to state the case, and he's like, he's like, I enjoy my job immensely, but it's really hard. And yeah. he's like, it, he was even saying, he's like, it is harder to get cops fired for shit they do on duty than it is off duty. Yeah, and it's like that's that's crazy, crazy, <laughs> and like Ugh. it, it is just truly, it's nauseating to think about, like. You know, yeah. The cops even have an internal system of looking this shit over and and checking themselves. But he's like, it is genuinely extremely hard to get a cop fired. And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, because they're because it's a fucking mafia. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, and it's like, I'm just like, when people are like, you shouldn't be friends with cops. I'm like, I'm friends with one, and he's good. (laughs) He's a good egg.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) one good cop. It's bound to happen. I know people who were cops who are very clearly and obviously good people. Some who left being cops because of the shit their fellow cops were doing. Like, it's not completely cut and dry like that. No. My grandfather was a cop. I mean, he was probably the bad kind of cop, if I'm (laughs) guessing, just based on his thoughts on some of my sister's boyfriends when she was a teen. But Yeah. uh, yeah, these cops, though, bad Bad cops. And, uh, hey, Bad if you get cop. called by a phone cop, hang up on them. It's not real. Yeah. It's a scam. It's, it's probably a, police, a dead person. But they're still scamming you, which. It's probably
0: a dead person calling you. <laughs>
1: yeah. They're just going to feed our voice into it. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, Celebrity no. Celebrity voices. Snoop Dogg. Oh, no.
0: Oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> I would give um, but
1: them, like, I would give Snoop Dogg money.
0: Oh, man. I will say there is one, like lovely little coda to this and then that's like they got a they gifted pat with this really great picture of him talking to the senator yeah and like got it super like got it professionally framed or at least put it in a frame for him and like pat has it hanging out like immediately hung out on his wall and it's like
1: he was so happy because that was one of the sad parts of that interview going in he was just like make sure you get a picture of me and the Senator. And when the staff was leaving, he was like, can I at least get a picture?
0: Nah. Yeah, can I at least get a picture of me like shaking the guy's hand and he wouldn't even give him that. And it was just so clear that it was like, this is not that kind of interview or not this kind of meeting. Like it is, you know, it's almost like he did the meeting to say he did the meeting and then peaced out. Like was just like, I can say that I met with you. I'm not going to do anything about it but at the same time like this documentary is also kind of putting him on blast of like yeah yeah no we know we, you didn't do anything you piece of shit, like yeah you know because because one thing that we didn't mention was that like senator blumenthal was no like the reason that anne ravel got them in contact with him is that he has been very vocal about being anti-telemarketing and like yeah and so they were like, she was like, "Oh, this will be a good guy to talk to." And it's like, okay, but he's still supported by the cops. So, right. like, of all the all of the the like bureaucrats they spoke to, and Ravel, who's like retired, <laughs> was like yeah. the one person who was actually able to help them, and you know was happy to help them. Um, but you could tell that she also in that interview was like, "Yeah, this man is not good at interviewing." <laughs> Yeah, You can just tell by her body language. And it was like, Pat, it's all like just, yeah. And, and it also kind of ends once again with like, you know, Sam and Pat, just like, you know, they went on this crusade together. It took so long and it is about their, and it is still about this friendship of them trying to take on this industry and taking on the cops and like, you know, it is. It, it is truly so brave. Like whistleblowers yeah. are so brave, and especially being like a lot of whistleblowers, I feel you know like anonymity, and they absolutely should with shit like this. Like yeah, you know it's it's very important for whistleblowers to be anonymous, but you know for them to be public whistleblowers against the police is extremely brave. Yes, and I. I commend both of them yeah. so much.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a disheartening ending, but it's such a good documentary. It's like, yeah. I didn't even mind that it was three episodes. There was some stuff they maybe could have cut, but it's fine. Like, and yeah, and yeah, you're, you're really tuning in for the interaction between Sam and Pat, like that part will at least leave you not feeling awful. At the end, and Pat gets his picture. Pat he's, get his, Pat gets his picture. Gets his picture.
0: And Pat also like gets like he goes from you know literally doing the the junkie nod at his desk, and they comment on it like they're like oh yeah. there's Pat doing the junkie nod like before calls and, he's and sober like by the end
1: well and he's sober
0: like yeah, California he just, like, sober yeah yeah he like comes alive um you know he also finds Jesus at a certain point which like yeah (laughs) it's like okay (laughs) you know that's that's common for another day but um but you know then he becomes california sober and then he becomes like sober sober yeah and like and it's and they sam even talks about like pat even having this like he's like he's this is the healthiest i've ever seen pat yeah and he genuinely seems very healthy and like you know there's a clarity to him too and it's like And it's just so nice to just be like, I'm proud of my friend. And you're like, (laughs) Sam, we're proud of your friend too. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in that way, it's an upbeat ending. And I think that's our episode. Jack. I think so too. Thank you so much for doing the pod. I appreciate it for having me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What do you have to plug before we get out of here? Um, you can follow me on
0: social media, uh, at Jack loves TV on both, um, uh, the app formerly known as Twitter and Instagram.
1: Very nice. Um, you can follow me at adamtodbrown.substack.com And uh, that's all I got for now. Let's get the fuck out of here. Jack, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.